We were singing one of the smallest human beings walked in the room. Well, she didn't walk. She was carried. Absolutely adorable. I figure about halfway through she'll let us know she's here probably. Um, let me pray for us that the Lord would meet us here. Father, as we read your text, we see that you say you're going to send a counselor or a helper, and that indeed, as we sit here 2,000 years later, those of us who know you have the promised indwelling Holy Spirit. Father, would you teach us by the power of your Spirit as we meet today, how do we appropriate his power in our lives that we might live lives even as Jesus said he gave peace, this peace coming through the power of your Holy Spirit. Not just peace, but all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Father, we long to realize that in our lives, that you would be made much of, that your name would be made much of because we can see the power of your Spirit living through the lives of believers. And so, supernaturally, would you now come and take this part of our worship and make it powerful for your kingdom. I pray that you would use me, that you'd forgive me of my sins. We know that they are many. And that you would come and speak to your people through your word, that this would be a time of exalting in you, of real, true worship. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In our text, Jesus says he's going to leave the disciples this peace. It's a peace not of this world. And so in a few moments, we're going to get to that peace. And how do we tap in to that peace? But if you've been here long enough, you may know that uh, my life um, started in Las Vegas. Some of you are like, well, I don't know that I knew that. My father had gotten out of the Marine Corps, and he was dealing uh, poker at a casino called the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, and that is where he met my mother. And they promptly, I think, became pregnant with me, and then before I was even born, moved to Atlanta so that I was born at Piedmont Hospital, and verifying that not everything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> well, I had a great uncle in Las Vegas who owned that casino. He died a few years ago, and lo and behold, I was the last living relative. And so in his will, he gave me the casino, and the land right on the strip in Las Vegas. Bob said, isn't that something? 
I have wrestled with what to do with this property for years because I've been told it is worth untold millions. And you know, we've got, Peggy and I have three kids in college. That kind of money might be helpful at this place in our life. You may be sitting here and you're thinking, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Why don't you go cash in on what is yours? Millions of dollars. And I thought, you know, I'm a pastor. Am I really supposed to make money off casinos in Vegas? But you say, go claim your property and get your millions. It rightly belongs to you. Claim it. I could say the same to you, follower of Christ. You have untold spiritual riches in the kingdom of God that I would be willing to bet you are not claiming. You are not appropriating you are not tapping into the power that is yours through God's Holy Spirit living in you. That would be my guess. In our text this morning, Jesus is telling the disciples that when he leaves, he will send them, some versions say counselor, some versions say helper. I like the translation of helper. We, as New Testament, New Covenant believers, are the recipients of this promise Jesus is making to the disciples. And if we would appropriate that, claim that, there is untold riches, peace, power, love, grace, goodness. Why do we not tap into that? First, let's, let's remember our context here. Jesus is right up against, he's just experienced the, the Last Supper with his men, and he's right up against a time where he knows he is about to go to the cross. He's going to leave right there at the end. You may have heard Elizabeth say, says, um, rise, let us go from here. He's going to walk down to the garden where he prays. And then it's in that garden where he is betrayed by Judas and taken off ultimately to be beaten and tortured and ultimately crucified. So you could imagine what must be going through the mind of Christ in these moments. He's aware. He is fully aware. Not of just the physical torment that is about to happen to his body, incarnate, in the flesh. But spiritually, he's much more in tune with the wrath of God for the sin of the world is, just, is about to be poured on him. He's fully aware of that. All of the wrath of the Father 
is going to be poured out on the Son that we might have an opportunity to have a relationship with God. And Jesus knows this. In this moment, though, what we see is a window into his heart. It's a window into his goodness. Because just when you think, if it were me or you perhaps, we would be consumed by the thoughts of death and the wrath of God being poured out on us, he is thinking about them. He's telling them, hey, let me comfort you with the comforter. Let me remind you, when I leave, I'm sending one who's going to comfort you. He's going to give you this peace that passes all understanding. And there's going to be, there's kind of three words that keep coming up in this text. It's peace and joy and faith. And he's telling them, I'm going to leave you with that. You know, if we were to read this text and really get our minds around it, right now in our world, you know, I can cut on the television at night and watch the world news, and the things that are going on in Venezuela or the things that are going on in Syria or Yemen, all of these things are because there's no peace, there's no joy. If they had this kind of peace, if they had this kind of joy, if they could grasp the reality of these texts this morning, it would turn the world upside down. And one day, ultimately, the truths of this text will turn the world upside down. But for you, Christian, today... You can live with this peace. You can live with this love today. We do not have to succumb to fear or doubt or anxiety. Jesus is promising a helper. It's the greatest news the world has ever heard. But why doesn't it feel that way? The disconnect is the faith of appropriating that power and tapping in to that power. And we're going to get very practical in a moment about how do we truly tap in to this Holy Spirit that God has said he's giving to the believer. How do we appropriate that so that we experience that power? Before we do that, I want you to look with me in your Bible. Open up to uh, John 14 again. And we're going to look at those verses uh, starting in verse 25 and reading through verse 26 and just walk through this text. So John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. That is a rock-solid foundation. What do I mean by that? What I'm saying is the Holy Spirit is largely responsible 
for the writing of the Bible. Look at, look at the last phrase there that Jesus says to them. I'm going to send this Holy Spirit, and he says, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's going to help them remember all of it. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is helping these men is a rock-solid foundation for our belief in the Scriptures. And then in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says it this way. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That idea of breathed out, there's a Greek word for it that I won't even try to pronounce, but it basically means all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. And so just like God breathed creation into existence, and He breathes redemption into existence, He also breathes Scripture And it breathes it out so that we have the doctrines that are found in our text that are inspired. And it is entirely related to the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter affirms this in 2 Timothy 1.21. This is how Peter says it. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So where do we get the Scriptures? The Holy Spirit and men of God's choosing. And so these men were real people with real personalities. They had real DNA They lived in a historical setting, and they had true life, real personalities that the Holy Spirit came along, it says, and carried them as they wrote the Scriptures. So it was a dual writing, Jeremiah and God working together, Paul and God working together, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It gives us a rock-solid confidence that the Scriptures we have are indeed the Word of God. Now, look again at John 14, 27. He says, in case y'all haven't figured this out yet, I forgot that I didn't say this. The whole uh, Las Vegas thing, that wasn't true. (laughs) I figured it was so outlandish that I didn't even have to say that, but just in case I forgot. John 14, 27, look at that. Peace I leave you with, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit 
to impart peace to believers. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to impart peace to his people. He promised to give them a peace, the fullness of which came at the day of Pentecost. Some of you may not know, but the day of Pentecost, you could read about it over in Acts 2. It's when the Holy Spirit is given, and you can see at that moment, everything kind of begins to change for the believers. But the contrast of peace that God gives is a peace that the world gives. The world's peace, and I've experienced this, and I think you have too, the world's peace is an illusion. It's, an, it's a peace based on temporary circumstances. If I can get my circumstances to, to, to be good the way that I want them, then I can have peace. The problem with that, and you know it as well as I do, is we, lo- we live in a broken world. This world is not as it should be. Your circumstances are not going to be what you want them to be much of the time, if not most of the time. And what that can lead to is we can become angry and frustrated because things aren't what they should be, and we know it in our, in our soul. We know it. The peace of the world also can be kind of a temporary, ignorant escapism. And that's what we see a lot, and, uh, and we even maybe tease one another, like um, <clears throat> you get on Netflix, and you find a show that you like, and you, uh, <laughs> I kind of tease, like just put on an adult diaper and sit there for 24 hours and not even have to get up and go to the bathroom. You know, it's just watch that show. That is a ignorant escapism that doesn't lead to real peace. It's just a, you just kind of get an escape for a while. The reason people lack peace, it's not really emotional. It's not about emotions. It's not about psychological. It's really not about our circumstances. Peace, I believe true peace, God's peace is found only theologically. It's a peace that only the Spirit of God can give. One, because you can't really have peace in this life until you know you're right with your Creator. And some would say, well, that's not really true. I'm an atheist. And I would just say, read Romans 1, atheist. I really don't think you believe that as deeply as you think you do. How do we stop our troubled hearts. In our text, it says we have troubled hearts. So practically, turn with me, if you would, to Galatians 5, 25. How do we find peace? Galatians 5, 25. In this passage, it says... In Galatians 5, 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. Do you know what that means? 
When you become a Christian, Romans 8, 9 says, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God enters into you. So you live by the Spirit. If you really are a follower of Christ, you live by the Spirit. But the reality is the text is teaching we cannot be in step with the Spirit. There can be sin in our life. There can be things that we are are, uh, not appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit, tapping in to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, you could actually be a Christian and not be walking in step with the Spirit of God. And so, if that is the case, how do you correct that? How do you, because this is what's important, is if you want to experience the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, unless you are walking in the Spirit, You can't experience that. And so you could be a Christian and be living, for the most part, a very natural life, just like any other person that doesn't know the Lord. Or you can be a Christian and be living supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe, it is my belief, that most Christians live a very natural life not a supernatural, indwelling, empowered life of the Holy Spirit. And so, I want to teach you an acrostic, a way, a practical, very practical way that I did not come up with, but I think it's very helpful. It's a five-step process to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. Actually, in my notebook, before I come up here, Usually I have it taped right here on the front of my notebook, and it, it's aptat. I know you're like, what's aptat? Acknowledge, pray, and I'm going to break them down for you. Acknowledge, pray, trust, act, and think. Or thank, excuse me. Acknowledge, pray, trust, act, and think. Now, under this idea of acknowledge, I'm talking about How do you practically apply the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Acknowledge is this idea. Before I'm sitting down here and I'm getting ready to come up here, and I'm getting ready to come up here and preach, just as a practical example, I go through this Abtat acrostic, and I say, Father, I can do nothing apart from you. I can do nothing apart from you. Even though I feel like maybe in my own flesh, I can get up here and I can talk to you for 30 minutes. Some of y'all say, 30 minutes? When have you ever talked for 30 minutes? Yep. Um, But I say, I acknowledge I can do nothing apart from you. And I get that from John 15, 5, which we're going to look at next week. John 15, 5 is all about this concept. It says, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if I want something spiritual to happen in our worship service, if I want you to be worshiping as you're hearing the word, I've got to acknowledge that's only going to happen if God is with us. All right? The second one is pray. 
It's simple. I ask for help. Father, it can't happen unless you do it. Will you show up? Will you, will you be here with us and work in the hearts of us so that we worship you through your word? Hebrews 13, 21. Equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Hebrews 13, 21. The third one is trust. Greater is he in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. I trust. So I acknowledge I can't do it. I pray and now I trust. The fourth one is I act. I get up from that first pew. I walk up these steps. And by this time, I've acknowledged I can't. I'm helpless without him. I've prayed for enablement. And I'm trusting in his deliverance. And so now I begin to act in faith. First, First Corinthians 15.10 is a verse that I claim and pray all the time. I would, I would submit it to you as a verse to memorize for your own sake in appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit. The verse says, but by the grace of God... I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though, I, though it was not I, but the grace of God within me. 1 Corinthians 10, 15. And then the last one is thank. Why, <clears throat> you know, 2 Corinthians eight sixteen says, but thanks be to God, and all over the scriptures it says, give thanks to the Lord, all through the Psalms, all through the epistles. And so... Giving thanks that he came, he worked. But here's where it gets, even in my preparation this week, in my study, and talking with Peggy last night, this is what I said. This is what I said to myself, and I also said to Peggy. I believe all this. I believe that there is a Holy Spirit, and I believe that his power is available to the Christian. But here's the problem. I don't do this near enough. I don't experience that power like I think I could. And I also have witnessed that others seem not to be tapping into, laying claim to that power. What is it? Why is that true? And so I think that it's time for me to uh, share once again, I've shared it before, this concept that um, I think this is, this is part of why it is the way it is. And some of you have seen me do this, but why do we not tap into the Holy Spirit's power? All right, on my right hand is Mr. Thin, and on my left hand is Mrs. Thin. All right, here's, you got to follow this now. Mr. and Mrs. Thin, they are locked into their dimension right here. In other words, they can't move. They're locked into this dimension. Now, what Mr. Thin and Mrs. Thin, they both have eyeballs on this side of this page. Mr. Thin's on this side, Mrs. Thin's on this side. And so when Mrs. Thin looks at her husband, she thinks, you're thin. 
And he looks at her, and hopefully he says the same thing. If not, he gets slapped. And that's all they can really see of each other is that edge. But in reality, if Mr. Thin could come up and come over here, he would see that his wife has blue ink and something scratched out that didn't make the sermon and other things, but he can't do that. So all he ever knows of her is that one thin edge, right? And, and she the same of him. But what if there was a God that created them and he revealed himself by dropping down into their vision and Mr. Thin said, honey, do you see that? And she says, I do. What is that? And they say, it looks like a fat finger. That must be our creator. Now, what they can't see is that the Creator is also all of this. All they see of the Creator is the tip of my finger. Now, could it be that we are locked into this dimension that we live in today and that our Creator has revealed Himself through the person of Jesus Christ? And he's given us his word. So now we have even more that he's revealed about himself. But what if his Holy Spirit is right there all the time? But our eyes are over here. And we can't see what he's doing even though he's as close, if he were any closer, he would be right in us. What I'm trying to say is, by faith, we believe what he has told us. By faith, we appropriate the power that he gives through his Holy Spirit. It is a by faith journey. And that power is as real as him being right there. But the fact of the matter is, we don't believe it. And therefore, we don't trust it. And so, let me give you a practical example. I was a strong extrovert in my 20s. Now in my 50s, I think I'm a strong introvert. I don't know what happened. But I would go to a party as a 22-year-old. And uh, it would be a social gathering, and I might talk a lot and say things a lot and not necessarily calculate what I said, and then I would get in the car and be driving home, and I'd be going, ah, I talked too much again. I'm sure they misunderstood that. I wished I hadn't said it that way. And next thing I know, I'm spiraling, you know, internally in my mind like, oh, golly, I stink. I can't believe I did that. And then what do I do? Because at 22, I'd already become a Christian. I acknowledge. Acknowledge, another word, could be confess. Father, I'm driving home. I'm embarrassed. I feel misunderstood. I talk too much. It's on me. I'm sorry. I just confess that. And I have these three questions that I learned that really helped me 
when it comes to appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have the aptat, which is acknowledge, pray, trust, act, and thanks. But under acknowledge and confess, I would go through these three things in my journal very often. What do I feel? And so the answer to that would be, in this situation, I feel humiliated. I feel embarrassed. I feel like a big mouth. That would be the answer to what do I feel. But then the second question I would ask is, what lies am I believing? So what do I feel? What lies am I believing? Clint, yes, you may have talked too much, but that doesn't determine your whole identity. And if they think it does, that's on them. And I would go through some thoughts there. And then the third one is, what does God's word say about this? What do I feel? What lies am I believing? What does God's word say about this? And then I would pray, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm believing. But this is what your word says. Help me to believe the truth. And then I would trust. Remember, acknowledge, pray, trust. I'd claim a promise. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15.10 became so good to me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not you. I'm never going to be you. I'm never going to be your temperament. That everybody, the grass is greener somewhere else. I'm me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then I act. I'd let it go, and I'd say, God, help me let it go. Let me not dwell on it. And if I found out I was dwelling on it, sometimes I would change my environment. I'd go for a run. I would do something to get it off my mind and not just dwell because that would be sin. I'm going to trust that this is okay. And then I'd give thanks. And so I would be able to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit through this aptat acrostic. I would hope, and next week we're talking about it again in John 15, that our people would all know how to employ this idea of aptat, that it would become very familiar with you to the point that you could say, I'm walking in the power of the Spirit because I, I know how to appropriate the Spirit. I know how to walk in the power of the Spirit. Switching gears now to the verse 28. Look with me at John 14, 28. Jesus says in John 14, 28, You heard me say to you, I am going away, meaning I'm going to the cross, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Now, what's he saying? If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. See, they're upset that he's leaving. So this is kind of a minor reproof. It's like, if you could see the cross and what I'm about to do the way I see it, you would be ecstatic. You would be so encouraged about what is, what is about to happen. But you can't see that. And so he's saying, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because that's love is rejoicing in another person's good, another person's well-being. You're more thinking about yourself and how you're getting left and you're alone and you're worried. And he's saying, if you'd have loved me, you'd have rejoiced. He says, I'm going to the Father. And then he says something that should trip you up. What does he say? He says, for the Father is greater than I. Whoa, 
Whoops. The Father is greater than the Son. We're talking about the Holy Trinity here, right? Is the Father greater than the Son? Jesus' affirmation that the Father is greater than him has been twisted by a lot of heretical groups. And there is no essential inferiority of the Son to the Father. And that's very, very important in understanding your theology. That the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are equal. Very important. So, what Jesus is saying is, in our essential nature, we're equal. But as I am in this submissive role here on earth, being God incarnate, then I am lesser in this submissive role for this season. Now, this might rattle your cages, and you may hate me for saying this, but do you believe in your heart of hearts that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all equals? I believe that. I believe that. In our day and age, you know what else I believe? I believe that men and women were both created in the image of God, and they couldn't be more loved or more equal. And I think men have abused power over the years, and it's led to some terrible things. But this is what I believe, and I believe the Scriptures teach this through the Trinity, that there are roles that God has given. Think about it. Just, just, just for just a moment, I've never met a man yet, and I don't think it'll happen even with technology, that has ever given birth to a child. Women have a role that men do not have. That doesn't mean, matter of fact, you could argue just the opposite, that like Jesus is going to be exalted by the Father, that women will have an exalted role in some sense because of the way they have served in God's purposes. I think that men and women are essentially different. You can look at our bodies and get a good clue. However, that does not mean in any way their men are more valuable, women are more valuable. I think it's equal, like the Trinity, but with roles. And I think our community and our society is doing a huge disservice to the next generation to say that there's no difference between men and women. I think, it's, I think it's horrific and incredibly hurtful to our society. Even the son submitted to the father. There are roles. So look at John 14, 29 through 31, and we'll close with this. Jesus says, and now I have told you before it takes place, So that when it does take place, you may believe. In other words, all this is going to happen. I've prophesied. You're going to see it happen. And when it does happen, you're going to believe. 
I will no longer talk much with you, meaning I'm about to have to go do what I got to do. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus is calling Satan the ruler of this world. And he's saying that he has no claim on him. That Jesus is doing what the Father has asked him to do. Now, why is that important in this context? Jesus is about to go to the cross. So let me ask you this question. Who killed Jesus on the cross? Who's responsible? Some said the soldiers killed Jesus. Some said the Jews killed Jesus. Some said Pilate. Pilate killed Jesus. But if you look at Romans 8.32... I think you're going to find a different answer. In Romans 8.32, it says, God did not spare his own son, but handed him over to death. The father did not spare his own son, but handed him over to death. And then in Acts 2.23, it says it this way, And Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then even harsher maybe in Isaiah 53. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of God, the Father, to crush the Son. So Satan had no claim on Jesus. Satan did not kill Jesus. The Jews did not kill Jesus. The Father killed his Son that he might have a relationship with his creation. But ultimately, even beyond that, that they would receive glory, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Beyond all of that. So, it's a tough question. I want you to answer this silently, not out loud. Right now, Sitting right here, are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? A lot of people find that to be a hard question to answer. But the truth is, I don't think it's that hard. Here's the answer as I understand the scripture if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you are now in step walking with the Spirit, but you do have Him. If you're, if you're not a Christian, forget it. You can't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You do not even have the Holy Spirit. But if you are, you have the Spirit, the question is, is there known, unconfessed sin in your heart that you are unwilling to let go of? And if there is, no, you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if God has put his finger through the power of the Spirit on something in your life and you're willing to repent from it and ask God to forgive you of that sin and turn from it, then you can know that you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. However, I will say it like a friend of mine in closing. I'm not a big hockey fan, but this was a helpful illustration. If you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. In hockey, if you foul another player, get in a fight, they'll put you over here, excuse me, in a penalty box. Now your team has to play the other team with less players. You don't want to be in that situation. You want all your people out there playing because it's almost impossible to win or to do anything, as John 15, 5, to do anything eternal, anything supernatural when there's no Holy Spirit working in your life. And so it is vital, it is vital for the believer to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what is the acrostic? that I have mentioned. Can you say it in your mind? Can you say it out loud? What is, what is it? What are the letters? Aptat, right? Great. We're going to talk more about that next week because we're looking at John 15 and it's in the same vein as this. Let me close us. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would help us. 